Well, Logan, everyone, welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is uh, episode number 57, and our guest is the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins. Uh, no stranger. He's been on this uh, podcast before, uh, Todd Nelson. Todd, uh, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, I guess what I have to start off with is this stat to me is somewhat astounding. Although I've seen teams go on runs before, December 21st, and I know you're well aware of this, you're in seventh place in the Central Division in the AHL. You're 10, 15, 1, and 3. Then you go on a tear of 32, 10, 1, and 4. Finish the season at 42, 25, 2, and 7. You're second in the Central. You're facing the Manitoba Moose beginning Saturday in the AHL playoffs, who are in third in the Central Division. Yet, as of December 21st, they were in first. They kind of had a slide. I know this is rather long, but you make up 26 points on them, Todd. Have you, in your coaching, and you've been a coach for a long time, ever had a team on a run like this? You know what? It's funny that you mentioned that. I've had uh, two other teams that went through the same scenario. and In fact, um, not quite as good as... A run that we went on, but we went uh, 27 and 4 or 5 or something like that in Oklahoma City. We were about 8 games under 500, and at that time, uh, the top 8 teams in each conference made the playoffs, and it wasn't just by your division, so we were able to scrape and claw ourselves in the second last game of the season, so I'm no stranger to this, but uh, I just don't want it to be a habit in the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must, uh, it must, uh, the stress level at times must be uh, uh, a, a bit high, I would imagine. Was there a point where at this, on December 21st, we had uh, Matthew Ford on your captain uh, on our last uh, podcast, um, do you have to like get up one morning, look in the mirror, and say, you know, I'm, Nelly's going to have to go in there and be rather um, obnoxious to the players just to try to kickstart something? Or did you realize, because you had gone through this with other teams, um, that uh, you know sometimes it just takes a team to get going? Or do you think, and I know it's a, a long question again, but uh, that it was a little bit of a Stanley Cup uh, hangover, or pardon me, the Calder Cup hangover uh, from winning the championship last year? Well, I think it was a combination of things. Definitely there was a Calder Cup hangover. I think at the start of the year, the first two months, we were trying to win win games easy, uh, not paying the price, uh, uh, just, just stuff like that, not playing the game the right way, uh, trying to take the easy way out. And you pretty much expect that uh, after a championship run, but uh, I didn't, didn't expect it to last so long. But a few things happened. We were a bit banged up. Uh, we had guys out with injury. And at the end of uh, about the middle of December, we started to get guys back. They were healthy uh, because during that span, we were uh, Ben Street was hurt, Tangredi was hurt, Pumple was hurt. Uh, key players to our offense, and and uh, you know, with that being said, right after that twenty-first game in Chicago, where we lost. I think we're up in the game, three to nothing, and we lost. It was uh, it was a tough pill for us to swallow. But then we went on Christmas break, and I think the Christmas break came at the right time. I think guys were able to go home, clear their heads, and when they came back, it was like a different team came back. They were rejuvenated. They were excited to get things going. I think everybody realized is that we have to make our move right now. And from that point forward, right after Christmas, we started to to go on this tear. And I think it was just business as usual. Once we started winning, winning um, 
games consistently, I think guys grew with more, you know, more confidence. I think uh, the players were understanding the system better. It's just everything kind of came into play. And um, it was a situation where I felt pretty comfortable after Christmas because I've been through this before. But uh, when we came back, the message was, now it's go time. And the guys all realized that. And I think there's two. there were two road trips just recently. Uh, but a month ago, we had a road trip into uh, Milwaukee, um, Iowa for two games, and then Chicago. All, all, all teams that were ahead of us in the division. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just went through uh, the road trip and got seven out of eight points, which was phenomenal. And that was a trip that, that uh, really worried me because if we go one and three in that trip, we don't make the playoffs. That's yeah. the bottom line because we were knocking other teams down that were in front of us. And so it was a good road trip. We came back home, won some games there, and then just on our recent road trip out, out uh, down south to Tucson and uh, for a couple of games, and then Texas a couple of games, we got five out of eight points. So those those two road trips really stand out to me. And we've been a really good road team all year. I can't explain it. We have a better road record than home record. It works out that way sometimes. But uh, thank goodness because we needed that confidence going into those buildings. What? This was your third full season behind the bench for the Griffins. Uh, you've averaged in your three seasons 44 wins. Uh, you don't have quite the uh, roster changeover that, let's say, Dan Watson does in Toledo. But you know, with guys being called up and different guys looking for different opportunities, or you know, not being re-signed, whatever the case may may be. But you've been extremely successful as a head coach at Grand Rapids. What is the key in success? Your approach to make sure that regardless of how you're roster might be evolving that the concept the winning is still there well i think you have to establish a team first concept and with that being said it's, it's like our model is always family first we try to make uh the rink a place where guys want, are happy to come to the rink work hard and get better and it starts with the coaching staff trying to create that culture you know people talk about culture all the time but there can be bad cultures and uh i think uh for, for our staff, I think we have to come to the rink every day with a positive attitude. And, uh, you know, we have to develop trust and respect with our players. And even though we had a lot of guys returning from last year, we had some new guys coming into our team that had to buy into that concept. And, um, you know, and, and they eventually did. And it was, it was uh, once again, a team-first concept that we had to uh, implement. And, uh, and, the, and the guys really relished with that. But, you know, like our locker room, if you go into a locker room right now, it's uh, confident, but we're loose. And in November, that wasn't the case. You know, it was amazing how confident we were uh, during the Calder Cup run. And then when we started the slide in the standings, all of a sudden that confidence leaves you. And the dressing room has a different kind of atmosphere. And so, you know, winning's great. Like, winning solves a lot of problems. Uh, but I think it was one of those uh, scenarios where the team got together along with the staff and we said, look, we have to start tugging on this rope all together, otherwise it's not going to happen. Uh Matthew Ford said something, you just touched upon it, that it's fun to come to the rink. And, you know, I don't want you to give away any trade secrets. You know, someday you might write a book, Todd Nelson's uh, Tips for Successful Coaching. But how do you make it fun for the players to come to the rink? Because, you know, I've seen zillions of practices, and I'm not even exaggerating, over the years. And uh, some coaches have different approaches. What What is your pr- approach to make it fun? Well, I think the biggest thing is I have an open-door policy, and I stress that to the players from the first day of training camp. Look, if you have a problem, come in and talk to me, 
if you don't feel comfortable talking to me, talk to one of the assistant coaches because we're here for you. You know, at the bottom line, like we're here to serve the players. We're here to make them better. We're here to make them uh, good enough to make the jump to, to uh, Detroit. So I think everyday interaction is so important. I think uh, getting to know each player individually is, is uh, crucial because then you understand how they're thinking and then you can push the buttons the right way. If you don't understand that, um, because like every player is different. Some players need a kick in the butt. Some players need to be uh, get a hug from one of the coaches if they're going through a tough time. And so when you get to know the players and their personalities, then you can uh, really identify some problems and nip them in the butt. And uh, so that's my approach. I, I try to make a, a conscious effort of talking to each player each day, and it might be just in passing by. Uh, what did you do for dinner last night? Where'd you go? And just start opening up some conversation. And uh, that way you just get to know the player better. And uh, once again, then you know how to push their buttons. Well, I, I'm kind of curious because, you, you, you know, I'm touching upon everything that you're saying because, uh, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense, obviously. But, uh, but also is that you say some players you have to kick in the pants, some players you have to put your, your arm around. Does it, are you a quick study in character? That, do you, can you identify this is the guy I might have to ride a little bit, this is the guy I have to lay back on? Well, I think it, uh, you know, we're pretty quick as a staff because if a player doesn't tell me, per se, they might have interaction with one of the, one of the assistant coaches and then we talk about what, hap- what happened that day in, in practice. And, and, you know, that's, that's just part of uh, showing the players that we care. And uh, when they know that we care about them, then you start developing trust and respect. And once you get that, uh, the guys will go through the wall for you. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes... Uh, longer than you think. Um, I had a short stint in Edmonton one year and I was interim head coach there and one of the players uh, that I was trying to reach through to was uh, Neil, Neil Yakupov right. and he was, he was really standoffish. Um, I still remember calling him into my office. I just wanted to talk about uh, some possible line changes and, and get his viewpoint on it. And uh, But he was really standoffish and then after a while I found common ground with some kind of uh, Halloween story about uh, one of his friends that was playing down in Oak City, I told him what he dressed up as and got him laughing, and all of a sudden then we had some good dialogue. And uh, all I did is just show him that I care, care about these guys. And um, you can't just talk to them and just say it. You have to walk the walk with them. You have to make sure that they know that uh, we have their back, and, um, and it works both ways. And trust is a two-way street. And so the players, you know, once they get to know me, they understand how I operate. Um, they buy into our team concept and, and uh, you know, we can talk systems or whatever. Uh, we can talk about uh, coaching styles. Um, like coaching to me, there's two parts of it. There's arts and science. And the science part of it is the X's and O's and tactics. And the art is how do you, how do you get your players to buy into what you're trying to teach them. And so that's why trust and respect is so important. And it comes from just a simple conversation on a daily basis. You know, you hit on something about trust. I, I can't tell you over the years how many hockey players I've interviewed and talked to where they say you have to trust your teammate because if you don't trust your teammate, you start doing their job and you're not doing your job, which means you almost have chaos on the ice. Uh, yet you're saying, and I, you know, it, it's so obvious, but it's so important that if they don't trust the coach, then you basically don't have a team. Well, then you lose the room. You know, right. that, uh, and you have to you have to focus on you know certain players a bit differently when you're 
when you're dealing with the team, you have your, uh, I guess you can say star players, and then you have your um, your star players that put up numbers, and you have your players that are grinders, and you know. But you have to get the important pieces in place and like on your side, because then all of a sudden they start preaching your word, and uh, they pretty much coach themselves by the end of by the end of the season. And so right now, when I'm sitting on the bench, I'm hearing our guys talk, and they're saying all the right things. They're pretty much coaching themselves or echoing what the coaching staff is saying. And so for a young guy to come in this environment, uh, they learn from also like the coaching staff, but also from the peers. And so I feel that's very important. How important are your veterans? Uh, guys like a Tang Grady, guys like Matthew Ford, who's your captain. Tang Grady is an alternate. Uh, I know Tang Grady still is chasing the NHL dream, and rightly so. Uh, but, you know, there reaches a point where they they understand that maybe they're at a point in their career where, they're, where they're, they are teachers, they are mentors, and that there's younger guys that are coming up within the given system, in this case the Red Wings, where, uh, you know, they really kind of morph into not only uh, – terrific people and hockey players but but true leaders well i think it's it's vital to have good leadership in your locker room uh it was never more apparent than last year we had an excellent uh leadership group uh we feel we have the same this year and like people have to remember i only get to see the players about three hours a day so the rest of the day they're spending spending time with their teammates and doing whatever uh so it's important to have that leadership because they, they echo what the coach says, but also they teach the players how to be a pro. Uh, I'm trying to teach the players and my staff are trying to teach the players how to be a pro uh, on the ice, but these, these uh, veteran guys, they've, they've been around, um, teach them how to be a pro off the ice. Uh, and it's something so simple as um, cooking proper meals for yourself. Um, you know, like... Uh, how do I write a check? Like you cannot believe, like some of these young guys, they come to our team, and uh, they had billets do all this stuff for them, or or mom and dad do all, like all this stuff for them. So they have to learn to be a pro off the ice. How to conduct themselves at dinner? Like how how to just be a pro? And uh, that's why having those guys around certainly does help. And the experience that they have is certainly going to help us out um, in the playoffs. Uh, a lot of guys went on that run last year where we won the cup. I think that experience that they had last year will help them through the playoffs this year. I think there's going to be adversity. There always is. I always invite adversity. And then because when you go through adversity, that breeds true character as far as I'm concerned. So, um, you know, these older guys are here to put up numbers and help the team win, but also they're here to help the younger guys make the transition from junior or college to pro. I, I don't know if this is even uh it might not even be a good question. Do you have empathy for some of the veteran players because maybe they haven't their career hasn't turned out uh like they thought it was yet they're still, you know, chasing the dream. Well, sure. You know what um in any situation, you're going to have older players that are still chasing the dream or they're on the tail end of their career. And so it all comes down to what, why did we start playing this game to begin with? We all started playing this game at a young age because it was fun. And uh, and the players all realize that, that they're getting paid good money to, to um, go out there and play. But yeah, like, you know, players that, that have not made, like Matthew Ford has not played an NHL game. I know that was always his dream. It just didn't work out for him, but he's doing the next best best thing. And, um, and he's captain of our team. He's, he's had a great minor league career. And, um, you know, it, uh, it's not a bad life. It's all I can say is that uh, you're getting to play a sport that you love. 
And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything better than that. You had an experience with Ford, obviously, at Oklahoma City. Um, on the previous podcast, he said one of the reasons why he wanted to come to Grand Rapids or into the Detroit organization was the Red Wings' culture of winning, but because of, uh, because of you. Uh, the I would imagine that you have a special bond with Matthew Ford, and this is his second year as a Griffin, and I don't know if the team decided or you did, but uh, his second year, he has the C on his sweater. Yeah, well, that was one of the reasons why we signed him, is that uh, there was interest when I when I was coached in Oklahoma City, then went up to Edmonton for the second half of the year. I came back to Oklahoma City to watch their playoff run, because obviously we didn't make the playoffs in Edmonton. And he pulled me aside, and he goes, I don't know where you're going to end up next year, but if you're back in the American Hockey League, I'd like to come play for you. And I said, well, um, we'll see what happens. Of course, I'd like to have you. Like, I think he's a quality person. I think he's uh, uh, a true leader. The guys look up to him. And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, the story goes where I end up signing here with Detroit and working in Grand Rapids, and then he he became available. And uh, you know, I was talking to him and his wife, and and all his wife says it's just nice to be back home. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, it's nice to be you know have Matt playing for you. And uh, I said, well, thanks. I said, I don't know how other cultures and other uh, dress rooms are, um, but obviously uh, the culture that we create here in Grand Rapids uh, in Oak City. Uh, pretty much appealed to him. So he came out here and uh, we signed him saying, well, he has a two-year deal and this could be a situation where Nathan Page moves on, which happened. We're going to need someone in the room to fill that void. And uh, uh, Matt came in. It'd be unfair to put the C on him the first year here where he was a newcomer. Nathan Page did a wonderful job last year as captain, but then he moved on and he ended up signing in Rochester. But it's a situation where, uh, you know, Matt came in got to know the team, won a championship, and, uh, you know, for me, it was pretty much a no-brainer. We had so many quality leaders in there, and talk about Brian Lashoff, Eric Tangray, Ben Street, uh, so a lot of variables came into play. I didn't know if we are going to have Ben Street the whole season, so I named him captain. Um, he might be up with Detroit. That didn't happen, but you, but you don't have a crystal ball. I wanted someone that was going to be here the whole year. Uh, also someone that had a voice in the room because a lot of times like a guy like Brian Lashoff he's very well respected but he's not overly vocal and Matt's not overly vocal but when something needs to be said uh, he says it and it uh, has teeth so uh, for me it was it was a pretty easy decision um, and like I said like the, the four guys I mentioned are part of our leadership group and I think they do a great job Let's uh, look at the upcoming series. It's the best three out of five. You're playing the Manitoba Moose. It begins uh, uh, with uh, Saturday and Sunday afternoon games in uh, in Manitoba at 3 o'clock. The next Wednesday, the series uh, uh, moves back to Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids. Uh, kind of odd, uh, Todd, that you're 4-0 at the Bell MTS uh, place where Manitoba plays. I know Jared Coro had a... Uh, uh, before he was called up by the Red Wings, I think it was Player of the Week, had back-to-back shutouts, I believe, up there. Uh, so I would imagine, and I know it's playoffs, but if you have to start off on the road, what better place than a place where you're 4-0 this season? Yeah, exactly. Not, like we talked about earlier where our team has been really strong on the road all year. Um, and with this format, it's, it's really scary because I don't think uh, – Anybody really has home ice advantage, even though we have three games coming home. But if we drop the first two, all of a sudden we're under the we're under the gun. And so um, the good thing is that we feel comfortable playing the road. Um, it's it's uh, a 
it's one of those uh, situations, though, in the American Hockey League, over the course of the season, you usually catch teams when they're they're injured or banged up or they have call-ups. Um, and that was the case in the two trips up to uh, Manitoba. I, I think both trips they had uh, both their goalies either, I think one was called up and another one was injured. And so we caught them at a good time. So, you know, you gotta you got to look at those stats and throw them out the window because we're, both guys are back, and that's the strength of Manitoba. It's their goaltending. Uh, their special teams are excellent. So it's going to be a battle. Like, we knew going into the playoffs, it didn't matter who we played. It's going to be a tough um, tough matchup. But I think the guys are, are going to be able to go up to Manitoba and have confidence to know that our team's won in that building. And so we'll have to wait and see what happens, but it'll be a, a very interesting series. What do you think will be the key in this series? Does it does it always come down to just good defense, timely goal scoring, and in great goaltending? Well, yes, you know, like so, like I'll hit two. Uh, goaltending obviously is one. You know, I haven't seen a hockey team win a championship with uh, average or below average goaltending. The goaltending has to be has to be very good, and at least give us a chance to win. Um, like in a game, um, and I tell my goalies that all the time. Just give us a chance to win. It might be a 4-4 game, even though the goalie has played it well. Maybe he makes a big save on a breakaway. And, and just uh, that's their job, just to give us a chance. But the second part of it is special teams. Our special teams have been good all year, so has Manitoba, and it's going to come down to that. So we're going to have to make sure that we're moving our feet. We, got, we can't take any lazy penalties. We've got to play the game the right way. And, and uh, our special teams have to be good, just like they were during the course of the season. Uh Jared Coro wins the Calder Cup for you last year. I was there for most of that run. Uh, he comes up to Detroit uh, when Peter Morazak is traded, uh, maybe because it's just the lack being the backup and Jimmy Howard's playing most of the games, probably did not put up the numbers. I know he didn't. He didn't put up the numbers that he thought. Do you have to be a bit psychologist because he's an unrestricted free agent coming up in in July? He plays a very very important position for the Griffins, and do you have to look at him and make sure that his psyche's okay based on how it uh, turned out here uh, when he was up with the Red Wings? Well, you know what? It's funny you mention that. We deal with that every day. It doesn't matter. Like it's not just with Jared. It's like with every type of player if they're going through a tough time. Uh, Matt Pumple hasn't scored in seven or eight games. I know that's weighing on his mind. Uh, so you, once again, if you create that dialogue and you have that trust and that respect, you, you know you, you talk to the player and, and um, you know you have to get in their minds a bit mentally. With goalies, I don't really go there. I let the goaltending coach do that. Um, I, I don't really mess with goalies. I tell them if they're playing or, or, or they're, or they're uh, backing up. So that's up to the goaltending coach. But as for players as a whole, um, you know, Matt Pompel is going through a tough time right now, but I think he's going to break out and have a great playoffs for us. Um, Joey Hickett at one point in the season was really down. You're dealing with the players like this all the time, and you have 24 guys. And that's why I go back to the conversations and the dialogue with the players, how it's so important. Um, to get to know them to what and see what makes them tick, and uh, you know, I, right now I'm in a bit of a pickle. I got uh, Jared that went up to Detroit and um, didn't play as much as he was down here. And, and when he left us, he was the goalie of the goalie of the month um, in February. And, uh, and he went up there and he didn't play as much. And a guy like Jared has to be playing quite a bit, so he's not as sharp as he was when he went up. Uh, and then I have Tommy McCollum who's been playing the best hockey of his season. And so 
<laughs> I'm not going to tip my hat to who's starting in game one. And I don't know what Jared's stats are like against Manitoba. Uh, but um, at least I have a few more nights to sleep on to see who I'm starting on Saturday. Now, let me ask you, you're every virtually every head coach I've talked to over the years, and there have been many, uh, None of them have very much interaction with 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 the goaltender, unless maybe they're a former goaltender themselves. Is, is that because they're crazy, or it's just such a different <laughs> position? Or I, I mean, I just find that curious that he, an essential part of your team, a lot of head coaches have a hands off approach. I just do because I never played the position. Like I'm not one to tell them, "Hey, you're off your angle," or, or get technical with any goalie. Uh, quite honestly, um, I'm not educated in that field. Uh, that's why we have goaltending coaches that understand how the goalie's playing. A goaltending coach can tell just by uh, watching the game in a certain like say, a period in the game to say, okay, well, um, Jared's feeling really comfortable tonight. Like, look at him, he's smooth and everything. And other times he'll say, uh, man, our goalie is a bit jittery. And, like, I, I don't even notice that because I'm, I'm focused on my bench during the game. Mm-hmm. Um so I just try to let the goaltending coach handle the mental aspect uh, with the goalies. Uh, but there will be times where if a goalie's having a tough go and I need need more out of him, just like any player, I'll, I'll just have a meeting with him and say, look, I need, need you to be, 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 be uh, better out there. Like, you have to be stronger for us. And that's all I'll basically say to the, the goalie, and then the goaltending coach uh, handles it from there. You're you're on this tremendous run. You're one of the hottest teams in all of hockey, regardless of league. You close out, as I said, 32-10-1-4. You're the defending Calder Cup champions. Uh, uh, I'm sure you don't need to tell the Griffins this, but uh, you are the team, not only because you're the defending uh, Calder Cup champs, but with the way you closed out, uh, there is not a bigger bullseye on any team in the NHL than there is on the Grand Rapids Griffins, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. It's been there all year, but now it's uh, even more so. And we understand that, but also that also gives our players some swagger. You know, we are the defending champs. That's our cup until somebody takes it away from us. And I think we have to have that swagger going into the uh, playoffs. And when I talk about swagger, it's not cockiness. It's a quiet confidence. Uh, but we have that swagger in games where it was, it was really apparent in the second game against Tucson where if we won the game, we clinched the playoff spot. And our... Our boys played a classic playoff-style game, and it was intense. It was emotional. And after the game, I'm going, that's the team that I've been waiting to watch all year. And uh, so I felt really good leaving Tucson. And, you know, from there, we uh, we dropped one in overtime in Texas, then one in the next two. So right, right now we're pretty hot. Um, you know, we, we suffered a few blows that uh, hopefully doesn't set us back. Uh, Matty Laredo's out for the rest of the year. He's, right. he's a big point producer for us in the power play. Obviously, um, uh, Dominic Turgeon hit a blood clot, so he's done for the rest of the year. So we've had a couple setbacks, but uh, our guys just keep on plugging away. And uh, it gives the opportunity for other guys to get in the lineup and show what they're able to do. Uh, one final question about the playoffs, and then we'll, then we'll move on to some of the players and some of the Red Wing prospects that you're familiar with and get your, 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 your thoughts on them. But uh, I, I think I know the answer to this one already. Uh, uh, do you like this uh, five-game format? Do you wish it was a seven-game series? And also, are you cool with starting on the road? Well, first off, I'm very comfortable starting on the road. Uh, I think it gets the guys channeled and focused. We've been through this before, uh, so I don't have a problem with that. Um, 
But the other part of it is, I don't, I don't really care for the five-game series because in a five-game series, it happens so quick. A team, if, if a team gets off to a tough start, you just can't recover. In a seven-game series, you can. Um, but in a five-game series, it just seems that if, you know, if we go into Manitoba and win two games, you know, uh, I like our chances playing for the division title. If we go there and drop two games, all of a sudden now we have to run the table at home. Right. So it's, um, it's a situation where it's scary for um, coaches and players, but uh, we just got to make sure we come out Saturday and, and play a solid, solid uh, playoff game. Uh, I know uh, last uh, July, although it'll be in Detroit this year, up in Traverse City, you run the development camp, and the, the Grand Rapids coach usually does that. I remember Jeff Blaschel doing it as well a few years ago. Uh, I remember when you said, hey, don't ask me about all these guys. There's like 800 people here on, on the ice. But uh, uh, but there were a couple of players out there, uh, Dennis Chalowski and then Michael Rasmussen, both the uh, last couple of number one picks for the Red Wings. Both had great years in juniors. Uh, still, uh, uh, Chalowski is going to be joining uh, uh, the Griffins when you're in Manitoba, and Rasmussen is still in the playoffs and, and tearing it up. Um uh, what uh, do you have? Is Chalowski going to play, or is he there for more uh, observation? Because you do have a, a pretty stout blue line. You know what? We'll have to wait and see. In Dennis's case, um, you know, we'll have him practice. See how he looks, and if he's better than somebody we have, and knocks somebody out of the box, then he's going to play. Uh, but as you mentioned, our, our decor is pretty solid right now. I think it's one of our strengths. But uh, with that being said, it's nice to have Dennis here. Um, he was here last year for about half the playoff run and then went back to train. But uh, I think he got his eyes open last year. I don't think he realized how intense, how emotional the games were. And um, so in that case, it would be good experience to have him, have him come here. But I'll have to watch him in practice to see if he's going to help us or knock somebody out of the box. Uh, but it's nice having that depth. In the case of Rasmussen, now that's a player that I wish him all the best in the playoffs, but right now we're hurting at center. And uh, that's somebody that we could definitely use. I'd probably plug him right into the lineup and he played second line uh, for our hockey team because right now we're just um, we're not very deep at center. Uh, we had you know the incident with uh, Dominic Turgeon and then Christophe N came home. Um, and came over, and when he got here, he was diagnosed with mono, so he went back to Sweden. So it seems like uh, our sediment are dropping like flies right now. So uh, Rasmussen would be a welcome addition. I don't think we're going to get him until we, uh, if we advance to the second round. So he'd be definitely, like, both guys are welcome with open arms. They're certainly going to help our team if they're plugged in. You know, I, let me ask you about Rasmussen, and I, I keep telling this story, and I know that the uh, the listeners of the podcast see, say, please don't go there again, but his hand-eye coordination, I saw him do that, uh, the tip drill, where he must, uh, there must have been 100 pucks fired at him, and he, I think, I swear, Todd, he, he tipped in like 98 of them. I mean, that for a man that large to have that kind of hand-eye coordination, is that extraordinary, or is that the wave of the NHL these days? Well, I think it's going to the way of the National Hockey League. Everybody wants to get bigger, faster, and uh, stronger, and have skill. Um, prime example is uh, the Winnipeg Jets right now. You know, yes. they're big, they're fast, they have skill, and um, you know, Rasmussen fits in that category. And that's why it's so intriguing. I think uh, he has such a bright future ahead of him. Um, as you mentioned, he's tearing it up in the Western Hockey League. I think he has 25 points in in eight games or something like that. So, um, you know, we wish him the best. Obviously, he's, he's going through uh, a good playoff run with his team. 
And uh, but if they get knocked out, and if we're still playing, um, we'd like to get them here as quick as we can. Yeah, no, I I think everyone's eager to see see how he'll do. Let's uh, uh let let let's talk about a a couple of other players here in the remaining few minutes that we have. Uh, first of all, Tyler Bertuzzi was was penciled uh, to make the Red Wings. Uh, uh, out of training camp, he had a few injuries, and it took him a while to get back into game shape. Went down to Grand Rapids, was called up, and has worked his way onto the Red Wings' first line. Uh, I know he's the MVP of the playoffs last year, uh, but here is a, a young man that seems to uh, uh, not only use all the talent, but has the drive and desire that uh, is almost second to none. Yeah, well, that's the way Bird is, you know, and that's why he is such. Uh, uh, that's that's why he plays so well in the playoffs. You know, playoffs the intensity ramps up, and uh, that's his game. You know, he plays uh, a feisty style. He has skill, and um, you know he, he gets up for those big those big moments. That's a great um, trait to have. And uh, obviously, he had learned this year in the National Hockey League to bring it every night, be consistent during the regular season. And yeah, we had him penciled in to come down. Um, it sounded like the right idea at the time, uh, based on talks within the organization. But then, as the season went on with Detroit, uh, he started getting more minutes. And um, you know, Tyler hasn't had um, the last two summers. He hasn't really had a chance to develop his body. So the decision was made that um, he would not report here, and he'd start a summer program earlier than he would if he came here. So. Um, I understand it. Uh, he will be missed. Obviously, I'd like to have him, but uh, uh, that's not uh, the way things went. And so, you know, I think they're looking ahead at Bird's uh, future, where he's going to be uh, a very important piece in uh, the Red Wings locker room. Um, he made the AHL All Rookie Team. Uh, he was impressive in development camp, maybe not so impressive in Red, Red Wings training camp and in the prospects tournament, but he has really uh, amped up his game from that point. Uh, Philip uh, Ronick, uh, uh, I mean, it, very impressive. 39 points here uh, in, in 67 games. Uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about, about, uh, about Philip and his game? Well, you know what? He developed quicker than I expected. Um, and, like, he kind of uh, surprised some of us with what he was able to accomplish. You know, at the start of the year, we had nine defensemen at the start of the year, so he was getting spot duty on defense. And when guys got injured or traded, all of a sudden he's been, he was a regular, and uh, he grew with confidence every game he played. And, and he got to a level um, in January where I'm thinking, man, this guy's playing some really good hockey for us. Look at his plus minus. He's putting some numbers up. And I thought that was uh, the peak for the season, but that's not the case. He's just getting better and better. And now he's our go-to guy on, the, on defense, uh, running our first power play unit. Um, he's playing like a veteran right now, and he's just a young guy. And so we're very, very happy with uh, the way that he's come along. And he's, he's got an opportunity. Um, next year in training camp to uh, maybe slide in there. And uh, so, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But all I know is that he's been playing his best hockey as of late. And uh, besides his skill set, we all like the way that he approaches the game. He plays the game hard. Um, He seems to have... He seems to have somebody from the opposing team chasing him down the ice, wanting to fight him almost... uh, 
uh, after about the third shift of the game because he plays that uh, tenacious style and he gets in guys' kitchen and that. So he's he's fun to watch and um, I think he I think he has a very bright future in front of him. Um, Evgeny Shvetchnikov was up here in Detroit, now back with Grand Rapids. Uh, seems to have all the tools. Seems to have all the all the talent. Uh, what does he need to do, Todd, to make the next the the jump up to Detroit permanent? He has to be more consistent. It's been an up and down year for him. Um, he came into training camp so fired up, and I think he put too much pressure on himself. Um, nobody cares more than he does. He um, was very excited to come back here to Grand Rapids when Detroit sent him back. The first thing out of his mouth, he goes, he goes let's repeat. And that sounds good to me. So he, he's... <laughs> He's really motivated, but it's been an up and down season for him. He was injured at training camp uh, when he came off the injury. Um, he he was playing maybe average, and then he started to get some confidence and he started to put some some games together. And uh, then he went up to Detroit, came back. So right now his season's been up and down. And I don't know if it's a sophomore thing or whatever, but I think with, with Gino is that he uh, he has to take. Take a breath. Sometimes I think that he wants it so bad that he—it's uh, counterproductive. And and we talked about it, and um, and he understands it. And it's just a sign of maturity with him. I think, like as he goes along, he's still a young guy. He's only 21 years old, or if if that. And uh, like this guy has a lot of tools, but I think the mental part of the game he has to manage better. Um, Joe Hicketts has been up here. Uh, I told Matthew Ford he actually led the Red Wings. Joe Hicketts did in plus-minus this year at plus-five. So uh, uh, he's a guy that endears himself just because we all talk about that size issue. Uh, but uh, uh, Joe had probably not the kind of season he wanted in Grand Rapids, yet he did show something here in Detroit. Uh, does he have a legitimate shot, Todd? I think so. You know, based on his training camp, we all saw what he was able to do. Um, but then when he came to us, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, things weren't going well for him. Things weren't going well for the team. And he's another guy. You know, we talk about, uh, I talked about earlier about Joe Hicketts, you know, uh, getting pretty down on himself. And, and so it's been up and down with him. The biggest thing with Joe is that he has to take care of the big mistake. Um, he'll play a solid game, but then all of a sudden he'll, he'll, a big mistake will happen. And I say big. He goes down in flames. Like we're talking, uh, giving up breakaways or whatever, and that's just a sign of being a young player, you know. And and uh, he's still learning. Like, um, you know, he's a big part of our hockey team. Everybody loves the way he plays. What's not to love of a, of a smaller guy playing like he's six five? And uh, you know, he has a legitimate chance. I think there's going to be some interesting uh, decisions being made next year at training camp uh, because the way that he handled himself in training camp this year in Detroit, he was running the power play. He he looks so comfortable out there. And sometimes when you're playing at that level and you come down to the American League, it's a lot tougher. I think it's easier for players to go up and play versus players to come down because it's more scrambling in the American Hockey League. Uh, it's not as controlled. And so I've seen players, you know, have a tough time in the American League. They get called up and they go play in the National Hockey League, and that's and that's it seems to fit, fit them better. So maybe Joe is one of those people. I'm not sure, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, he's, he's part of our decor who is very strong. And um, he plays power play and penalty kill, and it's one of those things where he just has to keep on playing. 
Uh, one final question, and before we let you go, Todd, and I do appreciate you taking time out. I know you're in, in game prep and all that for the uh, for the series against the Moose. Uh, uh, 5'10", 178 pounds, Vili Sariavi, uh, uh, defenseman. Uh, his, how has his season been? I know he spent a little time in Toledo just to get some playing time. Well, at the start of the year, we had that many defensemen, so we decided to put Billy uh, down in Toledo, and it really helped him out because when he first came up, he was flying, and and you know he's going through the same thing that Joe's going through, and it, it's been an up and down season for him. Um, I think the biggest thing with Billy is that he has to work on his strength. Right now, um, if a guy beats him off the wall, he's not able to crawl him in or um, in front of the net. He has to make sure that he's trying to box out, and and uh, sometimes the guys are just bigger than bigger and stronger. And so he's still a young guy, um, very promising. I, I love his skill set. He can really fly out there, and uh, when he's in the lineup, he plays power play, and uh, he shows he shows us what he's able to do, and and he creates uh, opportunities. Um, but I think the biggest thing for Billy is that uh, after this season, this season's done, he's got to put a good summer in and get stronger because that's what's. Uh, that's the thing right now that's really stopping them. Todd Nelson, head coach of the Grand Rapids uh, Griffins, thank you so much um, uh, for doing this, for being on the Red and White Authority. I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, best of luck in the playoffs beginning Saturday against the Moose, and uh, I'll see you in Grand Rapids down the road. Thank you, Todd. Sounds good, Art. Thanks for having me.